Welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest on developments that will impact the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and while mobile. I'm Derek Vita, and I'm joined as usual by my co-hosts, Lisa Cooper. Hello. And Chris Schreiner. Hello. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with a wide range of insights, analysis, and expertise. Today, we're going to talk about a very rich area for new technology, exercise and fitness. Exercise and fitness surely at the top of many of our minds going to the new year as we try to set new year goals and new year resolutions. A lot of innovations in this space tend to be more technology inward rather than user outward. So the three of us are going to talk about exercise and fitness tech from that user outward. And that starts with understanding who it is that exercises and who is it that is most interested in their fitness. So we see a lot of different technology, a lot of different form factors out there from wearables, smart scales, smart mirrors, but who uses it? Why do people exercise? Well, there's lots of reasons for people wanting to exercise. Some people do it for their mental health. They do it to challenge themselves, stretch themselves. Maybe they have a goal to run a marathon one day, something like that. Some people do it just so they can eat more during the holidays and just eat more in general. That's that's me, basically. <laughs> and of course, with COVID, that's been something that's been cut off from a lot of people. They're not able to go into gyms anymore. Yeah, that's been very difficult with either gyms being closed or even if they are open, a lot of people don't feel comfortable going in there or they will only want to go in there if it's empty, but it's never empty or there's not enough social distancing or it's just not comfortable enough. So they have to find other ways of doing this. And as we hit winter, at least where the three of us are in, in the country, this isn't the best time to be trying to exercise outdoors. So options are being very limited and we have to start to look toward a more advanced health tech in order to be able to keep up those goals during the winter months. In a lot of ways, designing for people who are into exercise and into fitness is a lot like designing for pet owners, which we talked about in a previous episode. It's not necessarily as simple as just designing a service or a piece of equipment and attaching an app to it. Different people have different goals when it comes to exercise and fitness. Some people, as Lisa was mentioning, track their progress towards uh, a mileage goal or a time goal. Some will go towards some sort of weight loss goal and then quit or pivot to something else. Some have regularly updating goals yearly, multiple times yearly, whatever. Some people have no goals at all other than just, as Lisa was mentioning, maintaining their mental health and they have no interest in tracking progress. So when you're designing a service or a product or an app, you can't necessarily design for someone who's going to be tracking progress. You have to design for at least a few of those different types of people. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a very narrow segment. So I don't really use a lot of fitness or exercise tech. I've had smartwatches before to measure my heart rate or blood pressure, things like that. But in terms of exercise, anything more than a, a step counter, I really haven't paid any attention to. Now, I'll admit I'm not the most fit person in the world, <laughs> but for me, my exercise needs, when I exercise, I want it to be fun as part of a sport. You know, I want to 
play tennis. I want to run around. I want to do something in, in that kind of element. And I haven't really found tech that fits that purpose yet. What sort of things or features do you need from a wearable for that level or that cadence of activity? For me, I don't know if I really need anything for that. I, I don't do it to monitor how many calories I've burned. I don't need data on it. I just know that while I've run around, I feel tired, but in a really good way afterwards. And if I do that a couple of times a week, then I'm good to go. So I don't feel like I have the need to have oodles and oodles of data stored on a cloud anywhere to tell me how I'm doing. If I put on my research hat and listen to some of those things that you said about what makes you feel good about that sort of activity, it's, I like the feeling of tiredness afterward, or I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like yeah. that. Yeah, that it sounds like at least for as Lisa was saying, I like that physical feeling like it, it, it's mental. Yeah, for people like me, it's more about tracking, tracking heart rates, weight and things like that. I want to know that I'm getting up to the specific heart rate that I want to so that I can maintain or reduce weight, especially when you get to a certain age and you perhaps can't eat like you used to and you're not really aware of how much you're moving or not so having something that lets me know when I'm moving around how my heart rate is tracks all of that stuff as well as my body composition that's really helpful for me so I need to have exercise that gets my heart rate up that has me sweating and it's not really an enjoyable thing for me so I actually prefer not being at the gym. I don't particularly like people watching me sweat and be not having any fun. I wish I could do things that were fun that would get my heart rate up that high, but it just doesn't. I have to actually do something a lot more intense. So for you, it's like brushing your teeth. It's not necessarily something that you enjoy, but something you feel like you have to do. Yeah. Lisa brings up an excellent point, though, when uh, she talks about going to the gym and... I don't like people looking at me while I'm sweating, whatever. For some people, though, exercise and fitness is a social activity. That's true. People like going for runs with people. They feel more connected. So you'll see this sometimes with certain exercise apps where you want to add friends and add contacts. And clearly there's a market for it. But uh, what do both of you think of that? For me personally, I don't use that feature but then I know people that do where they get their family members involved and they sort of compete on how many steps they've done and they get into the whole thing as a, a family together trying to lose weight together yeah I think it's valuable in that kind of group yeah. effort group support so now that we've outlined several different types of exercisers and several different use cases, let's look at some of the existing products and services out there and focus on it from that perspective. Let's look at wearables to start with. What's needed for an exercise-related wearable? What are the features and form factors that someone who's designing a fitness exercise-related wearable needs to tick off? When it comes to the form factor, Apple Watches and Fitbits can be very clunky and very difficult for some people to get on. And they can be uncomfortable. I know I wore one, it was very uncomfortable to wear, and I would accidentally bang it against things. And then you add on the constant vibrations and things like that. 
and the need to be able to constantly recharge the battery, how on earth is it going to track everything, such as sleep as well as activity, if you have to find time in the day to uh, recharge it? I've been wearing a Halo, uh, an Amazon Halo, for about a week. And that's the most comfortable wearable I've ever worn. It's so comfortable, I actually forget to charge it. So uh, it would be nice, actually, if there was some sort of reminder that would let me know to go ahead and charge the, the battery on it. So, Lisa, as you're talking about all of the things that you like and things that you dislike about uh, the Halo and other wearables that you've worn, I'm gleaning a few pieces of data that are important to you, things like heart rate. What about other features that the Halo collects that you find interesting or perhaps less useful? Currently, the Halo collects tone of voice. That's an option. You can turn it off, but I'm trying it out. And with tone of voice, you can decide, or it actually categorizes how you're speaking, whether you're happy, sad, discouraged, angry. So it gives you bar graphs of how you've sounded all week, and it's supposed to help with communication. I don't find it particularly useful, I would love to hear what other people think about that. Uh, but for me personally, it's not particularly useful. Have you found it accurate? Maybe I should ask my family that question. <laughs> I, d I don't know. So does it collect location information? No, it does not. It collects intensity of your workout. That's very useful. It collects your heart rate, which is very useful. Definitely all the things that people who are exercising would like to have. It reminds you about certain things that you've committed to, such as high-protein diets. That doesn't mean say you'll adhere to it. <laughs> Another good feature that the Halo has is if for some reason you're recharging the battery, which has happened to me so many times where it's so comfortable, I forget that the battery's going to be dead. And before I know it, it's disconnected from the phone, so I have to go recharge it. And then in that time... I'm doing other things and I might forget to take it off the charger and put it back on. And in that time, I may have done some exercise. Well, it does allow you to retrospectively put in the exercise that you did. You just categorize it, say how long you did it for. And because it gathered all the information about you, about height and weight and things like that, and it has your heart rate tracked, it gives you points anyway based on what you do. So I, I spoke in a previous episode about uh, a Fitbit that I used to have for my runs, and I enjoyed uh, keeping track of step counts, but I couldn't figure out how to control the notifications on it, and they were super annoying, and so like, I haven't had a Fitbit since. In a recent month-long running event that Lisa and I were involved in, I tracked my runs using Strava, and I didn't care for a lot of the features on there. I liked being able to track how far I ran and how long it took me, but location information was a bit troubling. Mm -hmm. uh, during that month, actually, it came out that there is a bug in the Strava service where if you were running past someone who also had the Strava service active, it would automatically link those as running buddies, quote unquote. And oh. you could glean, you know, things like where that other random runner lives. So of the information that the Halo collects, how much of that would you prefer to keep completely private, like just for you? And how much 
of that information? Are you okay with Amazon or someone who hacks into Amazon getting hold of? Well, that's an interesting question because the other thing that the Halo has you do is take an image of yourself so that you can check to see if you're losing weight. It supposedly goes, uh, all it does is go to the cloud for analysis and then it gets deleted and it stays on your phone. So according to everything Amazon is saying, it is a lot of privacy associated with it. I had to think about whether I wanted to do that, but for me... I was a little uncomfortable, but based on what Amazon are saying about privacy, I felt comfortable with it. When we've looked at consumers and data privacy and the types of things that they're most reluctant to share, it is location and biometric information. And of course, a lot of that is they already give away and they give it away freely without them really thinking twice about it. But when we ask what is most important to you, it is location and biometrics. So all of this health and fitness information, Amazon, other fitness tech companies have to be really transparent, have to be really upfront about how that data is stored. And it seems like at least in in Halo's case that it was pretty transparent and, and saying this is going to be stored here for, you know, temporarily, and then it's going to be deleted. And then it's going to be, you have to get into that level of detail for consumers to feel comfortable with it. Yeah. So we talked a bit about wearables in the exercise space. Let's talk some some bigger products. So things like home exercise equipment, gym equipment, uh, even in places like hotels. What might a user need for some of those bigger exercise-related wearables? Uh, Lisa, I know that you've done a little bit of research lately on things like smart mirrors. The mirror was released by a New York-based startup in 2018. It basically allows someone to interact with it. They can see their instructor through the mirror as well as themselves. And so classes can be live streamed or on demand. They can have on-demand classes through this mirror. It's becoming more and more popular since COVID began because it's such a good, such a good space saver with it being a mirror that it can just be placed on the wall. So it sounds very similar to Peloton in that way, where their their main thing is is subscriptions, right? So yeah. they have classes and then they have the product on top of that that is specifically made for the classes. Now, full disclosure, my household has a Peloton. My partner loves it. She loves some of the dedicated classes. So the the other day she did a Beyonce themed ride. It was nothing but Beyonce song. The struggle that I have with something like Peloton is that it's basically, especially if you get the bike, you can't really do anything else with it other than take Peloton classes and vice versa. If you were to take a Peloton class on a, just a regular old stationary bike, you don't necessarily get the full benefit of set your intensity to 15. So. They're doing very well for themselves in these COVID times. All the gyms closed. People are looking for unique ways to exercise at home. And this certainly takes the place of the spin classes that people would go to. Kind of painting yourself into a corner with these dedicated bicycles that don't really work for anything else, unless you have just unbeatable content. I think what makes the mirror, though, so compelling is the fact that it is an interactive mirror. It's a mirror. So you can see your form. So anyone that lifts weights 
you know that it's all about form and you can really injure yourself if you can't see what you're doing. And with having the trainer kind of virtually in the mirror behind you, it makes it easier for you to mimic that right. form. You can mimic their form. The big takeaway here is that similar to what we talked about with pet tech in a previous episode, not everybody exercises for the same reason, especially in COVID. And if as we move on to post-COVID times, as gyms open up, uh, people's motivations are going to change. What people like to do is going to change. They might like exercising socially versus they might realize in these COVID times that they prefer exercising individually. There's different data that they need off of their wearable or their smart scale or things like that. It's not a one-size-fits-all space. You really need to know your potential users well in designing your product and service. All right, time once again for Condensed Soup. Condensed Soup. Whoop, whoop. This week on Condensed Soup, of course, we're talking about our favorite or least favorite exercise or fitness tech product, service, or story. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm not really one for fitness tech. So I'm going to take that in a slightly different direction and talk about fitness tech that we have for our pets. Uh, we mentioned earlier, earlier episode on pet tech, uh, the Fitbar product. Uh, we have that for our dogs, tracking their, their steps and their sleep and their amount of exercise that they're getting throughout the day. And it has helped at least into guilting me to taking them out more often than I had before. Uh, getting notifications at six o'clock that our dog has only reached 15% of their daily goal is a little bit, a little bit eye-opening. Uh, so that's been very helpful in getting their uh, exercise going. And in that episode, we mentioned about the health benefits of it. And we did get our first notification that one of our dogs has been less active than normal and that we should keep an eye on it. I, I've been very, very happy with our fit park. Okay, my favorite fitness equipment is called a Jacob's Ladder, which is very low impact, but it's very, very large and it's not something you could ever have in your house. But it's just, it's, it basically works your core, works your rest of your muscles, it's all good for toning. It's one of my favorite pieces of equipment. So in non-COVID times, when travel is allowed, I, well, we all uh, travel around to visit clients uh, all over the world. And one of the things that I tend to do when I travel is I go for a run uh, first thing in the morning just to get it out of the way. And uh, so I'll leave the hotel and go for, you know, three to five mile run. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I enjoy getting to know a new city or a, a new town on foot. Uh, I feel a little bit more connected. And the other reason is that all hotel exercise equipment is terrible. True. <laughs> I have uh, had accidents on multiple treadmills in multiple countries. Ouch. Because I don't know how to handle the speed, especially if uh, it's, you know, I know a little bit of German, but not enough to get by. And I certainly don't know, uh, you know, Japanese or Mandarin. And so I end up, you know, flying off treadmill as I'm trying to adjust the speed on it. So we're talking about use cases. That is one absolutely critical use case for exercise and fitness equipment is non-English speakers, especially in a, a hotel who might only be using it for a, a certain period of time. So until that gets figured out, I'm more than happy to just keep running around 
on sidewalks and on country paths. All right, that's all for now. A reminder that uh, UX Soup is presented as always by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights on mobile, automotive, or smart home by visiting sa-ux.com. Please remember to subscribe, like, or review UX Soup on your favorite podcast platform or by visiting our show page, ux-soup.com. You can also visit that show page to follow Lisa, Chris, or myself on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks again. Bye for now.